How are we doing this morning? Come on, how are we doing this morning? We doing well? Awesome. Happy June to you. Uh, it has come. We have arrived. June's one of the best months of the year. Summer is here. And we're super excited to have you join us this morning uh, for our worship services. Really glad you could be here. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here at Ignite. And uh, if you're new here, maybe you're new to this church thing, or maybe you haven't been able to join us for the last few weeks, we have been in a series going through the little book of Habakkuk. And maybe you're wondering, what is a Habakkuk? Uh, Habakkuk's a book in your Bible. Habakkuk's a little book in your Bible, often gets overlooked, but it's a little book that's about a big God. And Habakkuk was a man who lived in the time of Israel or in the time of the Old Testament in your Bible. And Habakkuk, we're seeing as we're in week three out of this month-long series, we're seeing that Habakkuk's wrestling with very real problems that you and I even today are facing. Right, here's what's going on, I'll catch you up to speed. Habakkuk looked out into the world and said, I'm not a fan of what's going on. Oppression, violence, poverty, brokenness, depression, injustice. And he looks out and says, God, what's going on, where are you? So in a sense, he looks out, doesn't like it, then he looks up to God, and he takes it up with God, and Habakkuk is a little three-page prayer journal between the prophet, the man Habakkuk, and God. He says, God, where are you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of brokenness? How many of you look out in the world? How many of you scroll through Facebook, scroll through Twitter, if the kids are still using that nowadays? Maybe you uh, turn on the evening news, and you really have a love-hate relationship with it because it's really, frankly, depressing with what's going on in the world. Habakkuk was right there with you. 2,500 years ago, sure, but uh, the problem of evil still exists. I don't think humanity's getting better. I think we're on a decline, frankly. And Habakkuk felt the same way. And so God gives him a plan. He says, here's what I'm going to do about this evil. I'm going to raise up the hasty nation, Babylon. How many of you remember from week one, chapter one, Babylon's not a crew that you want to have over for the party. Okay, they are a wicked nation. They were a major world empire at the time. And God says, I'm going to raise them up to bring justice on my people Judah. Habakkuk rightly says, look, God, your solution's worse than the problem. Kind of leave us alone type of thing. And last week, Habakkuk chapter 2, we saw that Habakkuk resolved with God, no matter what, I'm going to walk in relationship with God. That's what he resolved to do. While we wait for God's plan to be fulfilled, while we wait for one day God to get rid of all the evil and suffering in the world, that day will come. Habakkuk says, while I wait, I'm going to walk with a great and good God. And that's where we pick up today. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 20. And I want to, before we paint a picture kind of make the frame for us, if you will. I want to frame this passage, because if you're familiar with the book of Habakkuk, if you've been reading through it uh, with the church, or maybe you're in a life group and you're kind of looking ahead a little bit to what's coming, um, this passage is kind of difficult, if I can be honest. If I had a list of passages that I would uh, preach before this one, it'd be pretty long, if I, can, if I can be honest with you. But let me say this. How many of you know that all of God's word is profitable? All of God's word is useful. All of God's word is beneficial. And all of God's word gives us wisdom to navigate life. Amen? So today we're going to 
confront this passage head on, and we're going to see that God is going to make right all that is wrong in the world. So let me frame this passage by saying this. We're going to be introduced to a major theme in the Bible today, spanning all the way from Genesis, the first book of your Bible, to Revelation, the last book of your Bible. And the theme is this. God is a good judge. It's this theme of God as a judge. And let me ask you this rhetorical question. What is it that makes a judge good? What is it that makes a judge, think about our court system, our, our, our legal system, maybe even here in the, in the States. What is it that makes a judge good? Well, several things. Here's one thing that I think makes a judge good at what they do. A good judge renders difficult verdicts even when it's the right verdict to render. A good judge does not acquit the guilty, right? What kind of judge would it be if a man standing before a judge in our court system today uh, perhaps performed heinous, heinous violations of our law, uh, murderer, uh, theft, what, whatever have you? A bad judge would say, there are no consequences for your action. Go and live freely like the rest of the people. We'd say that's a bad judge. God is a good judge. And that means God has to render difficult verdicts and give difficult sentences because he values justice. You remember in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the opening complaint of the book was this. How long, O Lord, will you allow justice to go forth perverted or distorted? The law is like it doesn't even exist. Your people are acting terribly. You remember that? It's the opening sentences of the book. And today we get introduced to God as a judge and God's answer to Habakkuk and God's response to you and me today as we're walking through pain and suffering is this. Justice will not go forth perverted forever. Evil will not have the final word. In the grand scheme of God's redemptive plan throughout history, it will culminate in a time where all evil is done away with, all brokenness is restored, all suffering is eradicated. And God says, look forward to this glorious end because there will come a time, and here's the big idea of the passage, here's the big idea of our time together today, where God will make right all that is wrong in the world. God will make right all that is wrong in the world. With that being said, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, we're going to look at five ways. God gives the prophet Habakkuk five ways that he will make right all that is wrong in the world. And he's dealing specifically in the book of Habakkuk with the nation Babylon. Again, Babylon's not a crew you want to invite to your party. They're deserving of judgment because they are very, very wicked but as we read through these verses today in Habakkuk chapter 2, you're actually going to start to see that the patterns of Babylon 2,500 years ago uh, actually show themselves in our culture today. You'll start to scratch your head a little bit and say, this looks really familiar. I'm hearing about this on the evening news. I'm reading about this in the paper. And that's because every generation has humans in it, and every generation has corrupt, broken people. 
And Babylon's full of corrupt and broken people. And we're going to see today that God will make right what is wrong in the world by dealing with the perpetrators of evil, you and me, the nation Babylon. So let's look together, Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. God continues to talk. He says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, press the pause button for a second. Here's, here's how God is prefacing these, these uh, oracles of judgment that are going to come. He's saying one day all these people, the people that Babylon has taken for themselves, has taken as captive, plundering nation after nation, taking slaves into their massive empire, God says one day there's going to be a revolt and an uprising, if you will, and all the people that you have taken for yourself are going to exercise justice on you, Babylon. That's what God is saying. So shall not all these people take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, let's jump in. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Verse 8, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Here's what God is saying about Babylon. Here's the first way God's going to make right what is wrong in the world. He says, Babylon is unjust. Babylon is unjust. We're talking about uh, God um, bringing judgment on Babylon for plundering nations. Let me give you a little historical uh, look into what Babylon was doing around the time of the book of Habakkuk, around 600 B.C. In 612 B.C., I believe it was, Babylon marched through the known world and took out the massive nation of Assyria, massive world empire. In 605 B.C., Babylon decided to keep marching westward. They took out the mighty Egyptians. They plundered the Egyptians. They're no small territory. They took them out. And then they started to march southward. And this is what Habakkuk was looking forward to with dread and fear. Uh, they made a southward march, Babylon did. And in around 590, 580 or so BC, they started taking out Syria. And then they took out Judah, which is the little nation of God's remnant of people. And that's what Habakkuk was looking forward to. Um, not in a good way, but he was looking forward to the fact that, look, Babylon's going to come and plunder Judah. These were no small towns. These were mighty fortified empires that Babylon, like a child taking out an anthill, just took them out. They're, they're, they're unjust. They're breaking apart families. They're destroying cities, they're taking military weapons and they're taking the riches and they're destroying homes and all of these nations and they're doing it unjustly. Here's what God says he's going to do because of their injustice. Verse eight, because you've plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples, they're gonna turn around and plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. If you look up to verse seven, God paints this picture as, look, uh, you're just taking out loans against these nations and you're gonna have to repay them because it's not yours to take. How many of you know that if you borrow money from, mm, let's say the, the government, uh, you gotta pay it back and they'll make sure you do, right? That's what God is framing here. He's saying you're gonna have to pay back 
all the things you've taken from these mighty nations. Babylon is unjust. Move on to verses 9 through 11. We see that Babylon is greedy. Let's look at verse 9. God says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You, Babylon, have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You've forfeited your life. Verse 11, the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork will respond. Babylon is greedy. God's saying Babylon has been trusting their wealth. The things that they've plundered from many nations to build their own empire, like an eagle does with a nest way out of the reach of other people, it says that's what Babylon has done very greedily with things that are not their own. And they've trusted their wealth for protection. They're saying, we've built such a mighty empire, there's no way another nation will touch us. That's the mentality of Babylon. Babylon is greedy. How many of you are visual learners? How many visual learners do we have? I'm, I'm a visual learner. What we did was we pulled up a picture, a digital rendering of what archaeologists uh, think that the great city of Babylon around 580 B.C. under King Nebuchadnezzar would have looked like. Let me say this. How many of you know this isn't a fixer-upper or it's not a first home? This isn't a starter house. Chip and Joanna don't need to come and do, do their thing, right? This is ridiculous. This is Babylon. Let me tell you a few things about the city of Babylon, what we're talking about. When they're plundering nations, this is what they're building. You see the wall that goes all the way around the city? That wall was big enough to have 100 gates of bronze around it. 100 different entrances like that one in the top left in the blue. There were hundreds of those all throughout the city. Also, if you look on top of the wall, you see people standing and hanging out. Um, around the circumference of the city, on top of the wall, was a highway system big enough to fit chariots four horses wide. What on earth? This is crazy. And this is what Babylon is building with their greed and their injustice. That's a remarkable, remarkable city. And God says this, because you have built your empire and trusted that wall to protect you from the judgment of my hand, God ironically says, look, your greed, all of these things that you've plundered, they're going to collapse on you. That's what God's saying when he says the beam will cry out from the wall and the stone from the woodwork, the beam from the woodwork respond. God is saying it will collapse on you. Because how many of you know things built with greed and with selfish desire and selfish motives never last? That's what God is saying. He says, I'm going to make right what is greedy in Babylon by causing it to fall on them. How are we doing? We doing okay? These aren't the verses you want to put on your coffee mug in the morning, right? there. Yeah, okay. Chapter 2, verse 12. God says, Babylon is violent. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? It says, Babylon is violent. They built their entire empire on this principle of taking lives of people that should not be killed. Here's the underlying principle of what's really going on. Here's what really makes God upset with the greed and the violence of Babylon building 
their empire the way they did, is Babylon is taking what God designed as good, that is, the idea of a city, right? We read about this in Genesis 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters of your Bible, that people were designed and given the command to flourish, multiply, be fruitful, and then put their efforts together for the holistic thriving of humanity together and in relationship with God. And Babylon takes that and turns it on its head, completely distorts God's designs. All sin is a distortion of God's good creation. And so Babylon is taking what God created as good, humans getting together and flourishing and thriving with their unique skill sets together to build a city for the glory of God. Babylon builds it for the glory of themselves and nevertheless builds it on the backs of broken people and hurting people and suffering people. They're violent. They built their empire on violence. And God says, because you built your city on violence, your city will come to a violent end. That's the painful truth of what's going on here. Because you built your city on violence, your city will come to a violent end. Then we read this. This this is a verse you want to put on your coffee mug, by the way. Verse 14 takes a pause, and God says, look, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How many of you have been to the east or west coast, and you've seen the ocean, or maybe you've been to like Lake Sakakawi or something, if you, not everyone's a world traveler, that's okay. Endless amounts of water. If you're on the east or west coast and you look out, I visited the Atlantic earlier this year, and you just look out and it's all you can see is water and it meets the horizon. It's absolutely beautiful. I need you to hear this. God says in the midst of all this judgment, in the midst of all this violence, in the midst of all this perversion and distortion and pain and suffering, Habakkuk, take heart. There will come a day where the earth is filled to the brim with the knowledge of the glory. That word glory literally means weight. It will be filled with the weight of my presence, God says, just as the waters cover the sea. And some of you need to hear that today because when you go home, you're going to be going home to a marriage that's on the rocks. You're going to be going home to checkbooks that are way out of balance. You're going to be going to work on Monday in a very toxic work environment, but you know you need to provide for your family, so you stick your head down and you do it, but when's all this going to end? When's all this going to end? And God says, take heart because I'm working a plan and one day Babylon will be done away with and even more so for you and I today, one day the evil, the pain, the suffering, the brokenness, the injustice, the poverty, all of that will be gone. There's no room for that in God's ultimate plan of redemption for his people. That's the hope of the Christian. We wait for the day for God to ring true on his word. He will fulfill it. It will come. It will not delay. And God says, take heart. 
Take heart, the world will one day be eradicated of evil. It will be made right. All the wrong will be done away with. And the weight of my presence, God says, will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's encouraging for Habakkuk. That's encouraging for God's people today. We jump back in. We have two more ways that God is going to make right all that is wrong in the world. Let's pick up in verse 15. God says, Babylon is perverted. In other words, they're twisters of truth. They're twisters of God's good gifts. Here's what God says about Babylon. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You, Babylon, pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. Utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Babylon is perverted. Here's what they would do. Not only would they take people as captives for themselves to work slave labor and to live in the city of Babylon as Babylonians. But for their own enjoyment, the, the, the kings and the court officials in Babylon would, one, thrive on drinking strong drink and being in a state of drunken stupor. But then they would also force women and children to drink of their same strong drink and then perform vile, disgusting acts with them. So not only are they drinking for their own enjoyment, but they are then forcing the weak and the vulnerable to drink so that they can enjoy them at their own expense. And that makes you feel kind of gross. Here's the underlying principle. Here's really what they were doing. They were taking God's good creation People made in the image and likeness of God, seated and crowned with glory and honor, Psalm 8 verse 4 says, made a little lower than the heavenly beings and the angels. That's your position as a human created in God's image. They were taking that and spitting on it and saying, no, I'm going to objectify women. I'm going to objectify these people and these children for my own pleasure and my own gain. Does that sound familiar? It's broken. It's perverted. And God says, because you drink of your cup and make your captives drink of that cup, God says, you're going to drink of my cup. And this is biblical imagery. We don't have time to get into all of it, but this is symbolic for the wrath of God. You can read about it in Psalm 75, verse 8. You can read about it in Jeremiah chapter 25. It's unpacking this idea of God's wrath poured out into a cup that he's holding. And one day he will pour that cup out on all the wicked of the earth. And the wicked of the earth, Babylon, you and me, will have to drink of that cup, that wrath, that hatred, that anger that a good God and just God has on the disgusting, vile practices of sin. God says, because you have drank of the cup, you will drink from the cup in my right hand. Babylon is perverted, and I will deal with them. We move on to verse 18. 
the final way that God is going to make right all that is wrong in the world. God says he's going to do away with idolatry. Babylon is idolatrous. God asks, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? It's a metal image, a teacher of lies. The one who makes that idol trusts in his own creation. He makes speechless idols. Verse 19, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath, there's no spirit, there's no life in these idols at all. Babylon loved their idols um, all throughout the city, on city streets, all the way up to the temple where they'd worship their false gods. They would have these beautiful, ornate, expensive statues. And in their day, uh, they weren't stupid. What they were doing was they were praying to a god, uh, a god, a false god, to come in and fill these idols. And then they would try and have a relationship with this false god that would fill these things made of wood and stone all throughout the city. That's what many nations did. Israel wasn't supposed to, but they did. Babylon is idolatrous. Here's the underlying principle. They made good things into God things. They made good things into God things. They took what God created for his glory. Right, these, God owns and created beauty. God created creative expression for humans. Right, he, he created that for us and Babylon took it, twisted it, flipped it on its head and said, we're gonna worship these things not to the glory of God but to the glory of us because we see ourselves as God. Babylon is idolatrous and God says this, to summarize verses 18 through 19, because you have exchanged good things for God things, because you've exchanged the uh, creation for the creator, the what has been made for the maker, says Babylon, you have exchanged your life for eternal death. These idols have no life in them. They have no life in them at all. And you will become like those idols you worship. Make good things into God things. Exchange worship of their creator for what has been created. So God says, here's five ways I'm going to make right what is wrong in the world. I'll deal with injustice. God says, I will deal with greed. He says, I'll do away with violence. He says, we'll get rid of all that is perverted and distorted. And he says, idolatry will come to an end. There will come a day when all the earth will bow down to the one, the true God of the world. We see in verse 20, as we wind down this section, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This is a bold claim because God is saying, Habakkuk, even though Babylon has mighty temples now, even though they have a fortified city now, I'm in my holy temple. Babylon keeps silent before me. God, not Babylon, is on the throne. 
God, not evil, not suffering will prevail. God will make right all that is wrong in the world. So we come full circle. God is a good judge. And because he's a good judge, he renders a difficult, though accurate verdict on not just Babylon, but on all of humanity. Habakkuk writes for a time, not just in his day, but looks beyond a time, even into our day. He writes not just for his culture, but for all cultures in the history of the world. Because God's word is not just ancient, it's timeless, it's living. And so when God is saying, woe to Babylon, he's saying, Babylon has done this. They are guilty before me and I will hold them accountable and I will sentence them to death because of their verdict, because of my verdict, my judgment. Friends, I'm gonna say a hard truth, but it's a biblical truth. If you haven't picked up on it yet, you and myself are Babylon. We are Babylon. God not only judged Babylon in 580, 590 BC, but he has judged each and every one of his people, and the verdict is this, guilty. The sentence is this, death. God says, I will make right injustice. How? By dealing with the unjust. God says, I will make right greed in the world by dealing with those who are greedy. God says, I will make right the violence in the world by dealing with those who are violent. God says, I will make right what is perverted and distorted in my good world by dealing with those who are perverted. And God says, I will deal with idolatry. All people who exchange good things for God things by dealing with those who are idolatrous. We are Babylon. And there will come a day where we will stand like Babylon did before God the judge. And he is a really good judge, which means even though it's a difficult decision for him, he will judge each and every one of us in this room and every person in the history of the world based on their works. What we have worked for, what we have done is deserving of death because we have rebelled against a holy and good God. It's a cosmic rebellion. God created his people in Genesis 1 and 2 for loving relationship in the beautiful paradise of Eden. And our parents, Adam and Eve, like each and every one of us, have chosen death over eternal life, have chosen what has been created for the creator, and in exchange, we deserve death. The verdict is guilty. The sentence is death. We are Babylon. And let me tell you this. Habakkuk not only wrote for his day, but he wrote and pointed to the God-man, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came in the fullness of time 
and lived a life that you and I could not live. What does that mean? It means Jesus came and was not unjust. He was not greedy. He was not violent. He, he was not perverted, nor was he idolatrous. Jesus lived a life under the law to fulfill the law. God says, I'm going to hold Jesus accountable for his works, and his works were perfect, righteous, good altogether. And then many of us know that Jesus willingly went to Calvary's hill on the cross. Why? Because it was the will of the Lord to instead of crushing you and crushing me, Isaiah 53 says it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus for you. So when we stand before a holy God and we place our faith in Jesus, God manifest and God dwelt among us, when we place our faith in Jesus, God looks at us and says, guilty but hidden in the one who is not guilty, Jesus Christ. Friends, I don't know how else to say this. You and me, we are Babylon. We are guilty. We are condemned. We are justly sentenced to eternal death and separation with our loving Father. And it pains God to render that verdict, but because he is good, he must. Do you know Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you worship Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you love Jesus? We sing about Christ alone. We sing about Christ being on the throne of our hearts because Jesus tasted death for us. Jesus stood before God guilty in our place. So I appeal to you today Will you place your trust and faith in Jesus? Because he's the one human. He's the better Adam who took on the sin of his people on whom God poured out his cup of wrath upon and he rose again to give new life to all who will trust in Jesus' name. Or perhaps you've been walking with Jesus for a while, but you're really not looking like a follower of Jesus. Your heart has grown cold. Your heart has become hard as a stone. You're aware of the work of Jesus, the benefits of Jesus. But they don't lead you to worship. God can breathe new life into you. Let me say this. God desires relationship with the people who are guilty, but all people who place their faith in, call upon the name of Jesus, are given the righteousness of Jesus and are made right before a good judge.